Uh, if you have your Bibles this morning, you want to read along with us, I think it's in the bulletin, is Matthew 21, verses 12 through 13. Now this has come at a time when Jesus has made his triumphal entry back into Jerusalem. Uh, he has come and, and has had a, a bad time at the fig tree, and, and he's cursed the tree, and it no longer produces any fruit. And, you know, we look at all the things that happens in this time period, just a short, brief window. And, you know, when, when he made his triumphal entry back into the city, he could have pulled up in a Ford F-250 pickup, fully loaded, leather, heat and air seats and all that. I mean, he could have had the finest vehicle there was to bring him in. But he didn't. He told him to go find a, a coat. Never been rode before. Now, has anybody in here tried to ride a horse or a donkey, a cow or a calf that had never been ridden before? Yeah. I was a big feller till I sat down on the back of that little calf. We thought we was going to have us a calf to ride around my granddaddy's. And I'm, you know, it, it's here, and I'm here, and I'm going to be a breeze. No, it wasn't. Well, I was, I was a breeze. I flew through the air like you ain't never seen. Hit the ground, and here come Mama coming over to make sure I went on the other side of the fence to stay away from her baby. Well, Christ said, go bring me that coat that's tied up down there, and I'll ride in on that. So he came in, and, well, he was tired by the time he got there. So they passed by the temple, and he was like, I'm going to go back tomorrow. So they went, and they got a night's rest, and Jesus came back to the temple. And when Jesus came to the temple... Built by the directions his father had gave their ancestors and precisely laid out. This wall will be this tall. This floor area will be this wide. This section over here on the outside will be this long. Had laid it out in perfect detail. And in verse 12 it says, And Jesus entered the temple... And drove out all who sought and bought and bought, sold and bought in the temple, and he overturned the table of the money changers and the seats of those who sold pigeons. And he said to them, "It is written, My house shall be called a house of prayer, but you have made it into a den of robbers." Now, Mark in the eleventh chapter in the sixteenth verse, he he pretty closely goes along with Matthew. He said he would not allow them to carry anything through the temple, and he was teaching them, saying, It is written, My house shall be called a house of prayer for all nations. But you have made it a den of robbers. Now John, not to be outdone, had to chime in also. And in John... Chapter 2, verses 15 and 16, 
And if you read John's writings, he always wants to carry it just a little bit more than the rest of them. If you ever notice when John is talking about John, he says the disciple that Jesus loved. And so the disciple that Jesus loved said Jesus took off the cords that they had wrapped around for a belt and he took and he wove those together and made a whip out of them and began to drive those money changers and people selling out of the temple. He cleared them all out. He overthrowed the tables. Now, Jesus told him, or John recorded it, that Tell them of these things away because my father's house is not a house of trade. Well, let's take a look at what those people were doing. Now, the people selling the sacrificial animals, the doves, the lambs, and all, they had a right to be there. You couldn't very well bring your sacrifice through the town and take a chance on it getting dirty or take a chance on it getting injured or hurt or, or somebody stealing it from you. So they had a right to be there and they were always there to sell the sacrificial lambs. Matter of fact, we find that they were grown and, and cared for out back and they were in a special pasture that heavily guarded. And the money changers that were there well, the reason they were there, people were coming from all over the region and their currency wasn't accepted in there. So there was a special coin that they had to purchase. So they would exchange their money for that coin to be able to purchase the sacrificial animal. So why made Jesus so upset? about them being there. They'd been there for a long time. They'd been there for years and years and years. Matter of fact, when Jesus was teaching in the temple when he was just a small child, you remember Mary and Joseph went off and left him? And, and two days later, it was like, you got the kid? No, have you? One morning, I was going to surprise Katie at work, and I, I, I got up, and I, I was working night shift, and I got up, and I went to Hardee's. At that time, was the only place that we could get breakfast, and I, I bought her breakfast, and I brought it in to her, and, and it was coming up a storm, and the closer I got to her work, the worse it got, and then they started giving thunderstorm mornings and tornado watches and all this and I'm bouncing in there and I've got her, her Dr. Pepper and her sausage or bacon egg and cheese biscuit from Hardee's and I walk in and I look at her and she went where's Brittany and I went at school and she went no she was sick so she stayed home nobody told me I did not know that 1976 Dodge D100 could run that fast on a six-cylinder to get back to our house. 
I had left her. And that was only for just a brief period that morning. Jesus' mother and daddy went off and left him for a couple of days. And he was around 11. And I'm going to be honest with you. If he had been 13, I'd have understood it. He can stay. I'm gone. (laughs) I don't have to be around that kid. It's probably better he is over there. So what made Jesus so upset? He saw him there that day when he was teaching when he was 11. So what made him so upset about being there? Well, you see, when when Christ walked through and walked in, what had happened was that the outer court had begun to fill up so much with everything else that didn't pertain to the house of God, that didn't bring any benefit or any glory or any justification or, or any lifting up of the Holy Father, to the people that were coming in. They had just filled it all up with every kind of thing you can imagine. And they turned around and they looked and they said, well, we got to have some more room. So they moved into the temple. They took their business, they took their their profit-making schemes inside the holy sanctuary, inside the temple that his father had laid out and said, you will come here, hear the word taught, and pray to a loving God. But they had forgot all about that, and they had moved everything they could inside the chamber of the temple and run God completely out. This morning, I want to ask you a question, and I want you to really think about it. Because it struck home with me this listening to this and preparing for this and getting it ready. But I want you to answer in your own mind and I want you to think about it in your own mind. What are we using God's house for today? What business do we conduct in God's house when we come in? In some places, it's become a social club. People walk around and they'll, they'll have a big fancy area out front for people to come in and, and get their coffee and their donuts and their hot chocolates and their waters and their lattes and all this. And they'll have everything set up and they'll bring it inside the sanctuary and then they'll sit there and they'll, they'll talk about everything in the world. Well, how was your job this week? Well, you know, the kid's done this and the kid's done that. And, 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 and then the band starts to play the music and the people start to get up and go back out because their latte is cold by now. So they've got to heat it back up and they've got to warm it back up. And I'm not against anybody having anything to drink. That's not a problem. I keep a bottle of water up here because I, I, I get... I'm sweating and I get thirsty and so I don't have an issue with that but what God and what Jesus took an issue to that day when he walked in was nobody was talking about God nobody was talking about he is sending us a ransom and a way out of the trials that we're in they were discussing how they could be seen 
how they could be elevated, how they could be lifted up above the fellow men that were there, not lifting up God, but lifting up their self. We've got churches today that are based on the fact of how much money can you donate to where you're going to sit. There are churches who do television programs, who have ushers that are trained to escort the best looking and best dressed to certain sections of the church to fill up the pews or the chairs that they've got because that's the image they want to see on television. We've got pastors today that are standing up in the pulpit and they are filthy rich off blessings that have been brought to the church. But instead of using them to go out and spread God's love and God's word, they're building their own kingdom up. They're there to see and they're there to be seen. You know, there's a lot of churches today in our own association that are small that are so small that they're almost on the verge of closing their doors. And I've met with some of these pastors, and these pastors are preaching Christ and have crucified God's love and God's grace, but they're losing memberships, and they're losing people from the church because I want to go over here to this one because their seats are a little soft. I want to go over here and and do this one because, well, their church van has better air than ours has got. And I want to go over here and see what this one's got because I I heard that uh, I didn't have to pay for my Starbucks coffee if I go over here. Now, I will be honest with you. If you ever put a coffee bar up or build a coffee shop, and you're depending on me to help you, support it, you'll go broke. I can't stand coffee. I bought Katie a little Keurig so she can fix one cup at a time, and I don't have to smell it. It literally makes me sick when I smell coffee brewing. Well, that's what happened with Jesus when he walked into the temple. His father's house a house of prayer, a house to raise God up in and to raise up your burdens and trials and have everybody in your family, your friends, your workplace, and yourself. And they're sitting there making a gainful profit off of it and not speaking a word about Christ. Not speaking a word about his kingdom. There are churches that you can go to in this very area. You can drive less than an hour and go and sit in a church and you'll never hear one word spoken about the cross, about the blood, about hell because that's not popular today. You can go in churches within an hour's drive of this building and you'll find pastors that are telling their congregations Do what makes you feel good. And that will satisfy God. But it won't. It will not satisfy God. I'll tell you this. You satisfy God and you'll feel good all over. 
There will be nothing left that doesn't feel good when you're satisfying God. You know, I, I watched a special the other day, a documentary, and I was flipping through the channels, and I saw this on one of the, the things. Is, and it was the search for God. And it was talking about all these people and all these different re religions and all these nationalities that were looking and searching and trying to find God. You had people that were trying to find God in the forest. Oh, he created nature. He's got to be out here. And then you find people that, that build huge, fabulous buildings, and they go and sit in them, and they went, well, where's God? Why, why, why is he not here? And they built fancy and fine homes, and they, they go in, and, and they start having problems, and they're like, I don't know why God's not here. I've got the best there is. Why is he not here at my house? Our best to God is like a filthy rag. God doesn't want our best. And, and that sounds funny, but our best to God means nothing. You know, I've seen people, oh, look at this house I have built. You've seen the, or heard described in Revelations how God's mansions are for us. You know, they're talking about building walls and all this. Have you read the description of the wall that surrounds heaven in Revelations? Our God that used not cement, not steel, not brick and mortar, but our God that used diamonds and rubies and fine jewels. He made one street that's going to run all the way through that city. And it's paid with pure gold. And we think our best means something to him. Because we built something better than our neighbor has. We dress a little bit nicer than the person next to us. We go where others can't go because we can afford it. We can't come to God in prayer in his house and lift up our burdens and our cares. God's house is, shall, and always will be a house of prayer. Whenever you've got a burden, his house is a house of prayer. Whenever you've got your ugly past rearing up his head, his house is a house of prayer. When you've got another mountain placed in front of you and you can't climb over the top, his house is a house of prayer. Do you know why the mountains are rough? Why they've got jagged edges and, and sharp ledges and all? If they were smooth, you'd never climb it. There's got to be something for you to grab hold on. My grandchildren have a fun time and, and they'll be doing things and Katie likes to say, where's Papa's hair? And they do this. They can't grab a hold of it because it's smooth. 
There was an old, old lady who told me that story about the mountain. Sometimes people who realize God's house is a house of prayer have forgotten more about how to get the burdens. They forget, they've forgotten their burdens because they brought them to God because his house is a house of prayer. When Satan starts raging war against you, his house is a house of prayer. When you're in a place you don't want to be, when you're far away from family and friends and anything that's peaceful in your life, his house is a house of prayer. When you look around and nobody wants to stand with you, his house is a house of prayer. When our lives have just just overrun us. When you've run out of money before you run out of month, when the sickness comes in and reaches deep in your body and your body is so worn and tired and given out that you can't go on, his house is a house of prayer. When everybody around you says, leave it alone. Don't go anywhere near that church. They don't want to do nothing for you. His house is a house of prayer. We'll get down and we'll pray and we'll just thank God and we'll lay out our troubles and our heartaches and we'll stand up and we'll walk out that back door and go in the parking lot and go, well, he didn't do nothing for me. I prayed to him and I ain't got a thing yet. His house is still a house of prayer. The reason we don't get our blessings from God is we get up and walk away. We get over here on Blessing Avenue and we start praising Him and telling Him how much we love Him and what our burdens are. And we open our eyes and we look around and then we walk over to Downton Avenue and we say, He ain't going to do nothing for me. His house is a house of prayer. Only when we are in that house of prayer will we start to grow. Only when we're in the house of prayer will our burdens become light. Only when we're in a house of prayer can we find direction for our children, for our marriages, for our jobs, for our homes, and most importantly, for our church. It's when we're in his house of prayer. I have knelt with parents and prayed with parents because they don't know what to do. And you say, what's wrong? I don't know what to do with my child. I don't know what to tell them. And you start talking to them about praying and and asking them for direction, God for direction to help you lead and guide. And they go, well, that won't work. And it's why not? I can't pray. Twenty-two years ago, there was a young couple that Katie and I was going to church with, had a set of twins. They were prematurely born. Tiny, tiny little babies. Lungs didn't develop like they should have. There were things that was all wrong with them. Grandfathers on both sides, pastors of churches. Grandmamas on both sides, God-fearing women that love the Lord. 
a husband and a young wife, young husband, young wife, been raised in church, been saved, baptized, were on fire for God and was, was willing to share their testimony. And here's these two twin baby boys laying in the nursery. And the doctor saying, I don't think there's much hope. The doctor came in one morning, gave them 24 hours. If they make it 24 hours, they may survive. But we don't think they're going to make it 24 hours. So you need to get ready. You need to be preparing yourself. The doctors were telling the mom and dad and the grandparents, you need to be ready to find out tomorrow these children are not alive. That was the hope that the doctors were giving. Glenn, James, and Brian went downstairs. Grandfather, grandfather, and Brian, the son, the, the husband. And they go downstairs and they find the chaplain. And Brian said all he could do was sit in the floor, bury his head in his sweat jacket he had on, and cry to God. He couldn't even make an audible word that would sound like a prayer. All he could do was cry out in God's house of prayer, crying and moaning in his heart that God would help his babies out. Meanwhile, in the room, both grandmamas and mama, they're in there, they're crying, they're upset, they're hurting, they're scared, and they're praying. And all of a sudden, the door opens up. And a housekeeper walks in. She didn't knock like the housekeepers normally do. She didn't say, excuse me. She just walked in. Didn't even have a bucket. Just had a mop in her hand. She starts mopping the floor. And she's listening to them cry. And she's listening to them pray. Meanwhile, downstairs in the chapel, Brian can do nothing but sob. The housekeeper gets to the foot of the bed and she reaches over and grabs Kim's foot and says, stop worrying about them babies. They're all right. She walked out the door, closed the door, and she left. They were wondering, how does she know? She's a housekeeper. What, what, what happened? How, how, how did she know? Or what is she thinking? Brian and his father and father-in-law come back up to the room. They're sitting there. The nurse comes in and says, the doctor's on his way to see you. They were expecting the very worst. The doctor opens the door up and says, I, I don't know what to tell you, but they're breathing on their own. I don't know what to tell you. They're crying. I don't know what to tell you. They're kicking their feet and they're moving their arms. I don't know what happened but they're getting better. The next day, they got so well, they could bring them out of the nursery and let them hold them. First time they had held these little babies in their arms. And they were all excited. They were rejoicing and they were praising God. And the nurse come in and said, never seen anything like this. Don't know what it is. And Kim said, well, all I want to know is, how did the housekeeper know yesterday? that the babies were okay. How did she know? And the nurse said, what housekeeper? 
the dark lady that came in and opened the door and mopped the floor to right here and grabbed my foot and then walked out and left. And the nurse said, we didn't have a housekeeper yesterday. We were short. God's house is a house of prayer. When you don't understand it, and all you can do is bend down on your knees and cry out to God. You don't even have to make an audible word. He says he understands the groanings in our heart. His house is a house of prayer. This morning, what is this place to you? What is this place to you? Is this a place that you go, be filled up, get your tank filled up for the rest of the week? And get a place that you can be lifted up by the Spirit and understand and know that there is a God that's with you every step, every day? Or is this just a place that you come to to keep your wife or your mom from nagging at you? Is this a place that you come to to, to socialize and have fun and, and, and maybe be seen? I'm going to tell you, I, I'm a big guy, I, and I always have been. I don't care if you ever see me. I want you to see me behind the cross. I want the cross to be number one because in a house that's filled with prayer, that son that died on the cross that sits at the right hand of the Father now is making intercessions for you and I, needs to be lifted up and needs to be the one that's seen, not I and not you. I don't want this church to be a place where people come and they have a social club. I want it to become where people know I can take my cares, my sorrows, and my burdens and be lifted up to an ever-loving God. This morning, is this a place for you to learn how to live? Learn how to bring up your family? Learn how to handle your situations in life? Is this house to you a house of prayer? Is this house a place where you know that if I come pray, I'm praying to a God that still listens. I'm praying to a God that still cares. I'm praying to a God who wants, who's sitting there going, now hush, angels, be quiet. I've got a brother over here that's, that's talking to me. Or is this just a place you come to sit and hold down a pew and want others to see you there? There's too many homes that are falling apart because all they do is go sit on a pew. They don't pray. They don't lift up others. This morning, I, I want to challenge everybody in this building. If there is a brother or sister comes down and brings a burden to the altar, I don't care what it is. They should never bring it down alone. 
They should be somebody else with them. If you want your home to grow, you pray. You want your family to get strong, you pray. If you want your church to be an explosion in the community and a house of love, you pray. There's nine weeks between now and Easter. Nine weeks. We'll have people here Easter Sunday morning that's here just because it's Easter Sunday morning. And they'll be dressed up. But I want them to walk in this church on that day, nine weeks from now, and walk through that back door and know they're in a house of prayer and they can feel God's love as soon as they walk in. But better yet, I want them to know when they're talking to you and I that they can feel the presence of the Lord in our lives. And they know there's something different. This morning, I wonder, what do you consider this place to be? Is it a place to sit? A place to socialize? A place to get a meal on Wednesday night? Or is it a place to bring your care is it a place that can be called a house of prayer?